there is so much more to God and spirituality than this box, this cage that theology has offered us. We have to be willing to re-examine everything because so long as monster God kind of has the, the ultimate say in what it, whatever all that means, then there's really never going to be any life in it. I'm more willing to revisit a relationship with God now after being, you know, one of the worst things that Christians can be. My belief in everything being made new makes me work to help make all things new. This is the airing of grief. Conversations and correspondence about spiritual de- and reconstruction. Season 2, Episode 3. From Cage to Catalyst. Hey there. Yes. Hi, it's Kevin. Hi, Kevin. How are you doing, man? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm all right, thanks. I hope you weren't expecting like Derek or Jamie because I'm probably the least interesting person to get <laughs> to get right. hooked up with. The it just throws you out at random to one of us. Well, thanks for doing this, man. This is really cool. I really have been digging your podcast. I've been listening to it and um so this is really great. Thank you for doing this. Oh, absolutely. It's been it's been a really amazing uh, past six months or so, putting it together and then seeing it become something else. And, you know, originally it was just kind of a coping mechanism for Derek. And yeah. I wanted to be a part of anything that he was doing. And then sure. it, just, it just kind of, as things often do when they're in his his range, <laughs> they get just kind of spiral <laughs> into something uh, cool. So, yeah, it's been really neat, though. So, yeah, um, yeah, it's been really good. So I'm I'm assuming you're a you're a a longtime fan. Then? Yeah, yeah, I've listened to Derek for a long time. It's probably since Cademan's and um, but really more of his own his solo work um, through the years. So that's been more of my where you know his work has really impacted me and kind of been a kind of a guidepost from the craziness that is evangelical Christianity. And to be upfront, I still consider myself part of the, uh, the Christian faith. So I, I, I am not, I do no longer consider myself part of that, the evangelical vein. I, I still attend a church that is, um, would probably be considered evangelical or it's a former Baptist church. It's a small small community, about a hundred people. Um, I was in a, like a big, large mega church for a while, um, for many, many years and that got so gross. I, that I left. Um, mm-hmm. so we're finding kind of going the exact opposite to where it's like, you know, like an old school, small building church, you know, not 75 people has been, that was refreshing. So that was new, mm-hmm. but the theology, the thought theology was similar. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so so then that would put you, I guess, well, if you had a way you wanted to start your story, you're welcome to back up, but I'll go ahead and, and, and throw this out there and see if it's a good place to jump in. It sounds sure. like um, you're, you're someone who remains, but, but sort of see yourself as, as being not necessarily, I'm not 
fully one of you anymore, but I'm still here because there's value to something, but I'm not sure we're getting at it kind of thing. Yes. So I think as I've been listening to your podcast and I've been, it's been crazy to me how doubt comes out. So, so it, when, when I've been gone through seasons of extreme doubt, it's always felt so isolating and I've always felt so alone and it has Mm. been kind of just eye opening and mind blowing to see like, wow, there are people out there that are going through this exact Mm -hmm. same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I, I feel like one of the things that I've been, it's been really, really cool and unfortunately very heartbreaking to hear, you know, just how, little the church addresses this at all and how little openness there is about it because i know my i guess my biggest time of of extreme doubt and i wouldn't say it's over by any stretch of the imagination but was about probably five or six years ago um so my wife and i had been married for about four or five years at that time and we had been trying to have a child and we were unable to to do that. And, um, so it's like, you know, it's been, it was one of those things where we had tried pretty much everything and then we were going to go, the next step was to kind of go to, you know, fertility treatments and things of that nature. And, and so, um, as we're talking about and discussing it, you know, I said, well, I feel like this is kind of the next step. We've not been successful for years to have a child. And, and my wife said, well, let's, pray about it and that kind of put me back a step i'm like pray about what you know like what <laughs> what is there left to pray about you know, like mm-hmm. we said we want to have children this is something we feel like god wants us to do and you know what what are we waiting for and why would we pray and i don't want to wait for some mystical right feeling of okay god wants us to do this now so Needless to say, we did go forward with it. You know, it wasn't something that I do remember saying that, you know, unless you're against this because of it's your body, I, that's fine. But I say yes, you know, like God doesn't have to say yes. I say yes. Mm-hmm. And so later on, needless to say, we got, we moved forward with it. We got tested, found out what was wrong and we we're going to, we got the prescription medication to, to, to start so it would help. And then um, we even had it, picked it up from the pharmacy and then my wife got pregnant. Oh, wow. And yeah, so that was, you know, quote unquote providential and that was crazy. And it was like, oh, wow, this is, this is very cool. And I, I was very, very anxious. Um, I think in the back of my mind, I remembered saying that kind of challenging God and there's that evangelical guilt of like you know pride comes before the fall type of thing so uh, and i'm just a very anxious person in general so um i remember even saying you know going to like our the the faith community we were in and this the people people we were in small groups with and stuff like that and they're like i had one friend that said to me specifically you know like hey look at all of the circumstances surrounding this like god obviously wants you to have this kid you know this is what you've gone through this whole time and about four weeks later we lost the baby oh wow
that was the moment where I said, fuck it, you know, this is yeah. not for me. Yeah. You know, this is, I'm abs- I'm out. And I didn't, I, I didn't really share that with anyone outside my wife. Um, because it was still, we were serving in church. We were, you know, it was just, it, it would have been an insane amount of people to disconnect from. That was our community. I felt nowhere else, we had nowhere else to go. Um, but emotionally and intellectually, I disconnected from from God and I grew very angry. Um, for about a period of two to three years, I, I don't know, looking back on it now, I never really said, oh, I'm not a Christian anymore, or I don't believe anymore, but if I could have tallied all of the things that mark of what a true believer is, besides like going to weekly services, I wouldn't have classified as a Christian. Because mm-hmm. um, I just didn't believe. I was pissed that he would do that, and I was mad that he felt distant. And I think that was the biggest thing, is that I kept quoting verses at the sky or the nothingness and saying, you know, you're supposed to draw near to me. Right. You you say, if we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. You said that. Mm -hmm. And it, nothing, I tried praying, I tried reading my Bible, you know, I tried confessing whatever sins I may have had, you know, all of the the checklists that you're supposed to do and nothing seemed to work. I still felt empty. I still felt cold and God seemed dead. If there even was a God that that was there. Yeah. It's hard. Um, It's hard when we start attributing the potentially positive things to God, because then as soon as like you, like your story shows, like as soon as there's that vacuum or as soon as we don't get what we, what we feel like we need, it's like, well, then that has to imply something in the other direction. And then Mm -hmm. you just end up, you end up in that cycle of, well, what did I do? And at some point it's like, you know, there's that frustration of, well, at what point do you take initiative? If you're like, you know, the creator of the universe, at what point do you (laughs) take initiative? At what point do you meet me in my brokenness? Instead of constantly calling me to, rise to the occasion and and be the bigger person which is a strange thing for a deity to hold over the head of someone mortal and someone imperfect and i i definitely have have had some similar experiences throughout life where it just seemed like i'm i really am uncomfortable with prayer in general that's been the case for a lot of years you know i'm i'm really uncomfortable by by what is not said whenever it is we're praying i'm really uncomfortable when people mm-hmm. say things like oh, thank God I left late. I just narrowly avoided this accident. And it's like, well, you're saying God caused that accident and someone else died. You know, when you say, like, <laughs> right. it's so cheapening and trivializing to me. Right. And and so it's, in a lot of ways, I think that I, I actually said goodbye to that God many years ago while I was still in the pastorate. Um, and, and even as far back as like 2007, 2008, I, I took to saying, you know, I'm not really interested in God, quote unquote. So like I'm interested in talking about Jesus because that's something more tangible that I can, I can see an example from and, and a quality of character. Sure. But anytime that, that he, he is not tied to that discussion within my Christianity, I just find that it's like, I really hate who we're talking about here uh, because right. it's, it's always a, a worse 
even more mysterious old man on a cloud who's fundamentally angry than I even see in the Old Testament, and I already have enough issues with that, you know, like, it's, <laughs> right. it's a mess. Yeah, I mean, what's so super frustrating about the whole thing is that there's the idea that this is a relationship, right? Okay, so there's this relationship, so, and obviously something is not good, something's not right about it, but whose fault is it? Because... God's perfect, right? So that right. means it has to be something that I'm doing. Right. And that was the most frustrating part of the whole thing was that I felt that this was my fault somehow. Like, okay, well, what am I not doing? Or what am I doing? Or what is, what is like going on so that, you know, it, it has to be me, right? Because otherwise, because God's perfect. God is, all, you know, all-knowing, all-loving, all-good. And, and if he's all those things, then it has to be me. Mm-hmm. And that, to me is the biggest lie i think that 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 evangelical christianity specifically gives is that there's this two-way street of 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 understanding in relationship which doesn't make sense like you said to the god of the universe how how can we have if there is a god that's all-powerful and all-knowing how can we have like an an equitable relationship at all it's impossible Mm -hmm. And I mean, so saying all of that, though, so that was for three, two or three years of just extreme hatred, kind of that fuck you God mentality of you, 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 if you are real, you are an abuser mm-hmm. because because you cannot be real and do the things that you're doing to quote unquote test us. That was what I, you know, that's testing your faith. Why? Why would he do that? If he knows, like, that doesn't make any sense to me either. Like, um, so I kind of had to step away from that and get away from all of that shit because that was, to me, evil. Like, this testing God who, like you said, kind of relies on us to be the ones to to, to put forth the effort. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really through... As I've listened to your podcast, I cannot believe how common that is mm-hmm. to me. And I will say, though, as the one thing that I've not, you know, I've heard a lot of deconstruction stories just like mine, and, and that's great. And I'm glad that there's a place for people to be able to share that. And as people have kind of come out of that, and one of the things that I, I hope that, um, and I haven't heard a lot of is that people who've kind of circled back around after these this terrible time into something better, into some type of faith that is still meaningful and still you're still able to have a God. And I, I know the goal of the podcast is to bring hope to people and I'm I'm I think it is. I just don't want there to be it sounds to me it seems it's like inevitable that you're gonna just once you've had this moment of clarity it's like well that's it you know there's no going back mm-hmm. or going forward towards something that is anything resembles you know christianity or, or god or or jesus or anything like that
Hello? Hey, is this... Yeah. Hey, it's Derek. How's it going? Good, how are you? I'm doing fine. Uh, thanks for taking a few minutes to chat. Yeah, of course. Um, so we have like 10 minutes, so just tell me everything. Yeah, uh, where to start? <laughs> right. Um, yeah, well, so I actually didn't um, listen to you a whole lot growing up, but yeah. I remember when um, you first came into my uh, circle, it was actually when you um, announced your divorce. Right, okay. And then um, shortly after, I think, was the same time that the Gungers talked about their beliefs on creationism and evolution. Interesting, okay. And um, I just remember everyone, I was going to a Bible college at that time, and everyone was just in an uproar about how these Christian leaders could just be changing their minds all of a sudden. and. Uh totally going against what we were raised to believe and um, just like volatile, you know, hateful words of how dare someone change and Mm. grow. Um, And I guess mostly just how dare someone think that something else could be right. Right. Interesting. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And being in Bible college too, we're just constantly, um, dissecting everyone else's beliefs and always building a case against it of why we're right and they're wrong. Huh. Yeah. And interesting that, that when that, that would be so scandalous at a time when, as you said, you're essentially pulling apart and examining everyone's beliefs. It's like that, that feels less like, um, standing for something so much as just examining everything. So you'd think that would be a safe place or moment to, to, to even pull apart those new beliefs that they were hearing from these former heroes or whatever. Um, is, is that not how you felt people were, were receiving it? Like, oh, now here's a new thing for us to examine and learn about and pick apart? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it definitely was more like, we already know where we stand. Oh, okay, sure, okay. There, there's no point in engaging with that. Right. Um, let's let's just end our relationship with that, and and that right. that's actually a a big theme for me and where I'm at currently is um, anytime I've changed or or um, you know shown people a part of my identity that maybe they didn't know about before I have been met with people just missing the point uh, that it's about I just want you to hear this and know this about me rather than I'm up this is up for debate right right and and so yeah so I mean I'm, so I'm curious to hear during those same times like how how was that information be it about those other folks changing you know, a belief on creation or, you know, hearing about a divorce or like, you know, how, how did, how did any of that interact with your story in particular? Yeah, definitely. So, um, I guess I started kind of changing my own political beliefs, um, through Bible college, um, and keeping those things mostly quiet to myself. Um, you know, I can, you know, have kind of a don't ask, don't tell relationship with some people where it doesn't need to affect, Mm-hmm. that relationship um in terms of your politics and whatnot right politics um and 
different ideas of theology, um, yeah. things just not making sense with, um, you know, what I'm hearing in class, what I'm reading mm-hmm. in the scriptures, and then how people are acting to me. Um, I was um, engaged in Bible college, and it was a it crashed and burned horribly. Mm. And um, I basically was just asking people to be with me and help me come alongside me. And um, they were so caught up in the little details of it. You know, um, I just needed them to be on my side. And they were so resistant to picking a side that they picked no side. And Mm. I went without community and having basic needs met because I didn't just fit into what they wanted me to. Now I'm in this community where women don't have the same opportunities as men do and I'm without a man and I'm saying I don't agree with what you say my role is now where do I fit I don't I don't have Hmm. this future before me of being a pastor's wife anymore so where do I go and what do I do can we engage in that of if I don't have a future in the ministry that you've set before me right where do I go then? Right. And so I'm curious, as you're kind of navigating that or have navigated that in the past, like how does that bear on your feelings about the idea of God? And and the reason I ask is because like one thing that I feel like comes up a lot in the conversations that I have with folks is the importance, if you're going to... Um, let me think of a light. I mean, I, I don't want to, ju- I don't, I feel like the, the word deconstruction is so overused, but it's like, mm-hmm. if, if you're going to doubt well, if you're going to, if you're going to doubt efficiently, <laughs> um, there's at least three parts that I feel like it gets broken into. And one is the institution of the church, like the political mm-hmm. movement and, and, uh, um, idea, the, the cultural kind of institution of the church. Then second, there's like the group of individual humans who practice the Christian belief, Right. Um, so other people you're interacting with. And then the third is like the idea of a, an invisible being who, who is both good and powerful and made all things. So, right. and, and you kind of have to weigh how you feel about those three things separately. And it sounds like with the institution, you're definitely hitting some guardrails in terms of like what you're, what you, what they are making you feel allowed to do as a woman and the amount of, and, and then with individual Christians in terms of how they support you or how they, um, you know, are not willing to get into the nuances of what you've gone through in order to be there. But Mm -hmm. then there's that third one and it's okay for people to absolutely jump ship on the first two and still be compelled by the third. But I'm curious kind of where you are with, with kind of how those, those first two bear on the third. Yeah, I guess it would be really easy to just say, wow, you've really hurt me. You're the picture that I have of God. So I don't like what I see. I'm done. Mm -hmm. Peace out. Mm -hmm. Um, but so I'm an Enneagram six and my basic need is to be supported. And I feel like Mm. if I don't have the right people in my life, if I'm not going to be supported by my faith community, I, if I throw out the third, the invisible being, yeah, 
then I am just untethered. And so that has kept me from completely getting rid of it. Um, mm. I guess it was just the, the belief that if I have the ability to be empathetic and compassionate towards, you know, marginalized people, um, LGBT, um, immigrants, where my, you know, conservative mm. family and church body can't, then does that make me more compassionate than this higher power? Right. And if so, then one, why would I want to follow a God that is not as good as I am? Yes, right. Or how do I figure out what the real true good God is? Mm-hmm. Where is he? If he is not in these people that are hateful and don't mm-hmm. have that compassion, then then where is he? Yeah, I mean, even the group itself, don't they say that you can tell the tree by the fruit? And, oh, you know, yeah. that's, that's their line. And yet, if we judge the individuals and the, congreg- the, 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 the people who are congregated around the practice of the ideas, gosh, it's really hard to, you know, I think it was Gandhi or somebody who, you know, talked about the differences between the Christ and the Christians and mm-hmm. how puzzling that was to him. And, right. you know, like, you know, Christians tend not to be a very good advertisement. Uh, yeah. for, for Christianity and um, or maybe they're a great advertisement for Christianity they're just not a great advertisement for Jesus um, and and so that get com- that gets complicated fast but like do you feel as though you're still pretty compelled by the idea that there is something out there like that there is some something external of you higher um, that maybe is the source of life and those sorts of things do you, do you still feel that that's an important idea for you and that you're still exploring or you know how yeah. com- how committed are you to that idea I I am committed in fact I I get a lot of this pushback where I'll tell people like um you know a big part of my story now is that I've been um I've been getting to know my sexual identity outside of growing up um I'm bisexual. I'm married to a straight man. And, um, I have felt more willing to reach out to a higher power since coming to terms with that, because Mm -hmm. it's just not something that everyone can know. And being known is like the deepest desire. Right. I just think I'm more willing to revisit a relationship with God now after mm. being, you know, one of the worst things that Christians can be. Hmm. And um, I just don't see how that can be an accident or a coincidence. Right. Uh, and do you feel like maybe the reason is because before, if you were, if there were parts of yourself that you were either ashamed of or trying to keep under wraps or hidden, mm-hmm. that it would be hard, it, you would, you would, you would kind of like, you'd be in an emotional straitjacket in order to really be able to deeply connect with anyone if you're not deeply connected to yourself and who you are. And if that's not a thing that you are either fully aware of or in a position to be ready to fully share, it wouldn't, it, it actually sounds like it makes sense to me for you to say, you know, in light of my being more open and honest about who I am, Mm -hmm. I now feel as though I want to kind of go back and, revisit that relationship that, you know, maybe that higher power relationship or that 
that because now I'm I'm coming in more fully knowing something about myself and and because like like you just like you were just saying how can you be how can you know when you're being fully known if you don't fully know yourself yeah like how, how can you even judge if someone is fully knowing and accepting and loving you if you're not even fully aware of who you are yet and so once you do come fully aware or at least more fully aware of it mm-hmm. then that would be a reasonable moment to go back and try it again <laughs> do you know like that makes sense to me um yeah or already knowing that and keeping it a secret and having people react poorly to incremental change right yeah like how would you ever come clean about something bigger something right. that yes. is inherent to yourself versus just an right. opinion yeah when you've been testing it out with a change in politics how in the world and, and that goes so roughly how in the world could you feel safe to try it with a change in, in sexual identity i mean right. you know you, you just you're setting yourself up to fail let um, alone just the reactions of um you know like i was talking about a broken engagement, like that is an opportunity for your church family to just meet your very, very basic needs. And when yeah. they can't meet that, and then, then you don't you feel can't... safe to take any real things. I mean, not that that wasn't real, but in comparison, you know, right. you, you've had to endure some pretty hard things. And if they can't handle the less hard things, how could you trust them with the, the really hard things? Right. Right. Yeah. Do you feel that you've managed to find now some some hope on the other side or some people or some community or, um, you know, that, that does make you feel both seen and known and loved and accepted? And, I mean, have you found that now? Yeah, I definitely have. Um, I mean, it has not been without difficulty. Um, sure. I have noticed that the more I open up and ask for acceptance, I have been met with that. Um hmm from good people, but I have also experienced some very extreme rejection. Um, but you know, that has just, that will bring relief right now. It is, it is a wound, but I know that that will bring relief because I don't have to waste my time thinking anymore. What will they say? Because the worst thing that I can imagine happened and Hmm. I am fine. Right. You know, yeah, I, I imagine, though I was, you know, spending so much time thinking about what will they say? It's going to be terrible. It's going to hurt. They are not going to be okay with this. And I did it. The worst thing happened and I am alive. Mm-hmm. And yeah. more than that, I have found other people that said that have validated that that was wrong, given the, the affirmation that I needed, the justice that was missing before in pieces of my life. Man. Yeah, and sometimes that can be the the um, you know the uh, the silver lining to a very hard season is to realize that to first of all separate the the you know sheep from the goats in terms of who your real people are, who you can depend on, and who can bear that those sorts of hard things with you. But also you learn that you can in fact survive it. And I've certainly been through some things in the last four or five years that I wasn't sure that I could have survived, and I did. And so it makes you more resilient and it makes you, uh, and the, and that's a great thing. That's a great thing to take with you, you know? So, yeah. um, well, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you spending a few minutes and chatting and telling me some of your story and, yeah. uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I hope you, I hope that continues. I mean, I'm, I'm encouraged to hear that you're on the other side of that and 
and and in good relationships and you know finding those good people and those safe people and um, I know I certainly wish that for both of us so thank you for for being willing to to talk absolutely thank you so much yeah okay we'll talk to you later yeah perfect bye bye once you've had this moment of clarity it's like well that's it you know there's no going back or going forward towards something that is anything resembles you know christianity or or god or or jesus or anything like that for people who find themselves still compelled to some form of christianity or another i just for me it's like i just hope that we actually reckon with jesus in that and and don't continue to rely on um some version of god that he clearly like intentionally replaced um and you know intentionally challenged um i just I can't, I can't square Jesus's statements of I and the Father are one and I do only the things that please the Father and if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I can't square that with the Father that I was taught by evangelicalism. Um, mm. And so... Well, yeah. No, I don't think he... I don't think those two are the same. So if, yeah, so if we are to reconstruct there and still land there, I just hope that we're allow, we allow ourselves, um, you know, for anybody who finds himself in that place, like I hope that we're allowing jesus to actually have a a legitimate voice in christianity and what that means to us as opposed to just being someone who gets butts into heaven um because god was angry and had to slaughter something um but you know because because the thing is and and you hear a lot on the podcast a lot of the people calling in are are coming from a very particular form of of evangelicalism like a distilled form of like reformed evangelicalism right and and i don't you know, a lot of people will say, well, I'm not Calvinist, and I'm one of those people who says, well, pretty much most Protestants are. It's just some are honest about it, about what that implies, <laughs> like the basic ideas about God. Right. Anytime we have a God who, whose definition for, you know, God's definition for himself of holy is different than what it means for us, and love is different than what it means for us, then it's like those words cease to mean anything. Well, it's know? not even just those things. It's goodness, too. I mean... You call yourself good, but like if, but then there's all those caveats. It's like, well, how can this be good? It's like, well, we don't understand it. And I mean, I know intellectually that makes some amount of sense, but if a large chunk of what God does seems bad to us, mm-hmm. like, but He calls it good, like, then it's mean. Then that word "good" means nothing. Right? Good means if nothing. we can't, if we can't. If we can't understand what good means, if it doesn't jive with the reality of it, it doesn't matter if he calls it good or other people call it good or we call it bad. It just sucks either way. Like, mm-hmm. it's just a horrible, horrible thing either way. And, yeah, I, I'm i right there with you. I think, like, there is so much more to God and spirituality than this box, this cage that reformed theology has offered us. The idea that there is anything else besides substitutionary atonement and penal substitutionary atonement is was I didn't even know there was anything else until I was you know, <laughs> twenty seven. Yep, like, same here. I like, didn't know there were other ideas out there. Right. I mean like and that's that's a that's horrible. Like there's like the idea that we're 
that there's something else besides the fact that we're bad and there's nothing that we can do about it and we're evil born that way and so therefore the bulk of us are going to eternal conscious torment i yeah i can't that's not something i can believe yeah i, I mean, still it, can't it makes that. it makes god into such a failure it's like that's the best that's the best best plan you could do like still doomed yeah. most of us who had no choice to be born broken into right torture forever yeah so it's like we have to be willing to uh re-examine those things and yes and if we're going to reconstruct and still stay in the house if we're going to remodel that house we have to be willing um to re-examine everything because so long as monster god kind of has the the ultimate say in what whatever all that means then there's really never going to be any life in it because it's always at odds with your very childlike heart, your conscience, the thing that, you know, the image of God supposedly that you were born with mm-hmm. and which evangelical um, and dark age type theologies really argue, at, argue with and have you constantly feeling like you're at odds, your intuition is at odds with God, God is removed, God isn't here, God isn't, you know, God, and, mm-hmm. you know, God's ways are higher, you know, like all those kinds of right. verses taken out of context all the time. Um, you know, because when Isaiah said that, he was talking about God being nicer than he had a frame of reference for, not God being, like, mysterious <laughs> right. and removed and withdrawn. Um, and, you know, it's like that very sort of thing where it's like, eventually I started realizing, if I'm going to do this, then I need to hold the Old, Te- Old Testament accountable to Jesus. So if Isaiah says God's ways are higher, well, then they got lower when Jesus came to earth. So stop using <laughs> that. Stop holding right, that over my right. theology's head. Uh, because there's there's supposedly the example... And, and, you know, I find that most people who keep it, keep it on the Jesus train actually have a healthier version of faith. Um, they embrace mystery. Um, with, with some of the marginalized voices we're reaching out specifically to this season, you know, mm-hmm. it's like for them, faith has always been embodied. It has never been detached yeah. from a justice narrative. Like, it's never just been right. conceptual or theoretical. And so, in so many ways, it's like when they say deconstruction, they're like, well, I never had to deconstruct because I didn't have, like, bullshit constructed for me in the first place. I've always actually been the people in the Bible that right. you believed you were growing up. You know, when I was right. growing up as Rome or Egypt or Babylon and being told that I was the Jews. Like, we have all these people in our own culture who actually are those people. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, it's to to marginalize their theology is is equally terrible. Like I in Bible college when I was going through the pastoral internship program, I was never once encouraged to read a book uh, by a woman or a person of color. A thousand <laughs> well, that, thousand books told yeah. I was I should read, and and I came out of Calvary Chapel, which you know claims to not be the hardest core conservative thing in the world, but. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just thought that's amazing because as like the more I've examined Jesus, the more I thought the idea of it being black liberation theology is really cheapening. It's actually just theology, you know, and it's the right. it's the junk we added with Calvin right. and Luther or Anselm, if you want to go back further, or Dante or, you know, or Augustine. Like those are the guys that missed the boat, not Martin Luther King, you know, like so. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm right there with you. I think overall, I just I'm just so happy that you guys are doing this and that Derek's doing this and. We want the same thing, and I think we'll get there. And I, I'm just so glad that there's this opportunity to, for last season, to help people as they're deconstruction. But then also this focus on those who are marginalized, I think, is fantastic. Mm-hmm. So thanks for doing this. Yeah, I really appreciate uh, you listening. I know everybody else does, and um, and and glad to be able to uh, get in contact with you and get some of your story. Well, thanks for thanks for the time. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.
I came out to my youth pastor when I was 16, after someone at school had outed me to some classmates. Everyone but me knew I was gay long before I did, and they taunted me for it. My mom could be in denial about my queerness, but she couldn't about kids being mean. Being mean stemming from a homophobia baked into Alabama Baptist Christianity. My youth pastor scheduled an appointment with the associate pastor, who did counseling. He read Romans at me and told me he was sure I'd be fine. My internal conflict about my faith and my feelings was dismissed because I was too good to be gay. I read Wild at Heart. I tried to befriend straight, masculine guys. I broke up with my first boyfriend when my mom found a letter I'd written him. I identified as ex-gay and read Warren Throckmorton's bullshit. I tried to live it, and it didn't last. My first day of college, I'd been on campus three days. I had sex with a guy for the first time. He felt like I'd used him. He wanted to date me, and I sat in tears. A United Methodist at this point, the Alabama Baptist faith having been deconstructed, embracing sacramental grace and rejecting mere ordinances with my book of discipline. The practice of homosexuality is incompatible with Christian teaching. Dating a guy I had a crush on was the same level as war. Incompatible with Christian teaching. I prayed and prayed to be straightened out and butched up. That didn't happen. I wanted to be a federal appellate court judge, then felt called to ordained ministry. In 2006 and 2007, You couldn't do really either if you had a history with queerness. So I stayed in the closet and was discreet in my liaisons, only having one girlfriend, who I cheated on six times with six different guys. But I was waiting for law school to find a wife and for the gay to get out of my system. I didn't get straightened out. A guy expressed interest in me, wholly me, and I realized I had a crush, not just a trick. With a crush, it meant it wasn't just a phase, and it wasn't just physical. I was not straight, and never was going to be. I fully came out to myself. I had to give up. Not give up on God or being gay, just letting go. I couldn't keep trying to be something I was never going to be. A few months after finally coming out to myself, I came out to God. When I tell people that, they say, Don't you think God knew? And I say, of course she did. But coming out saying, I'm gay, to the being you've been asking to take it away from you is a big fucking deal. Coming out to God was one of the most mystical experiences of my life. The closest I've ever had to audibly hearing the voice of God, like at the baptism of Jesus, or God speaking to the prophets. God said, of course you are. That's how I made you. I don't remember if I laughed or cried with joy and annoyance at all the angst I'd lived with for a decade. I'd been given new life. I had a resurrection. I believe that the Holy Scriptures as contained in the Old and New Testaments are the Word of God and contain all things necessary to salvation. But I don't know that for sure. I swore my belief in my diaconal and priestly ordinations but I didn't swear my certainty. I believe in and take comfort in the words of the Nicene Creed, and that regardless of whether I mean it all, all the time, 
God and the church don't need me to. They'll keep on going after me just like they have before. And I don't know that anything in the creeds is factually true, but the creeds give me a story, a grid for interpreting the world around me, a world being saved. I don't know anything except what the church believes to be true, regardless of fact. I don't know it's real, but I know it's what the church teaches. I certainly don't think it's the only accurate understanding of the divine. The Trinity is clearly us fumbling in the dark, but it's a story we use to make sense of the world. Maybe it's all myth, but even when I don't believe in much of anything, I believe in resurrection. When I don't believe in anything else the church teaches, I believe that Jesus literally came back to life, beat death, and that all of creation is being made new. Despite some strong efforts, I couldn't shake being gay, and can't shake God. My belief in everything being made new makes me work to help make all things new. I can't just wait for what might come one day. And I know something new and renewing happens when four retirees, one of them living with medicated schizophrenia, stand in a half circle with me as a skylight shines on bread and wine, and we behold what we are, and we become what we receive. My deconstruction had to deconstruct the notion that I was the big and bad. I want to puke just typing that. You've talked about the need to kill a god who isn't true to find one who is. I had to kill the god who needed anger management classes and misdirected blame and could only be satisfied with blood to find the god who is making all things new. I'm glad I was able to do it, to kill that god, without thinking that what needed killing was me. Thanks again so much for listening. We wanted to update everyone that our safe and private messaging space has launched for our patrons in an app called Slack. For more on that and to look into supporting what we're doing at the Airing of Grief, check us out on Patreon. Details about our goals and the other rewards we're offering can be found there. We're still doing our monthly video chats and releasing bonus content and all the other stuff we've been doing. If you're listening to the podcast, don't forget to give us a like on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter at Erin Grief. And especially, if you can, give us a star rating and review on iTunes. They really do help so much to make us visible. You can see all episodes, companion essays, and get info about our team or how to share your own story with us at theairingofgrief.com. And we'll see you again after church next week for The Airing of Grief. Thank you.